This is CNT Talk. Every week, two friends debate the issues of the ages as we agree to disagree. It's never politically correct, but it's always entertaining. Join us tonight so you can sound knowledgeable at work tomorrow. We're smacking you upside the head with the hammer of truth. Welcome to the show. Hello, hello. We have not been together for a month, and much like the U.S. women's soccer team at the Olympics, uh, we were overconfident and underperformed to start this show. So this is take 15, 16, something like that. Um, the ball bearings were not completely greased, so we had some issues in the dilithium crystals. We're going to have to start reducing the salary of the production team. It's just, yes. it's just not going they well. Horrible, horrible. Yeah, so I, I brought up the women's uh, soccer team, and I got a, a text from one of our listeners uh, wondering what I thought about that. And I said, well, um, you know, I can score more goals than that. And, you know, I'm not the number one team in the world, so I'm not really sure uh, what to expect of that. But I'm glad they kneeled before the game because that really showed pride and work there, something like that. Well, here's the thing. You mentioned the Olympics. I haven't watched any of it. And I usually I usually enjoy watching the Olympics. Um, part of, of course, the problem is it's in Tokyo, so nothing nothing yeah. is live essentially, and you've got empty arenas, which is just terrible in terms yeah. of just the you know th- there's no electricity. Um, so I'm not even sure whether I'm going to watch. I mean, I usually really enjoy watching swimming. I watch track and field. Um, those are the two main things that I that I enjoy, but. I haven't watched much since. And speaking of the U.S. women's team, the men's basketball team also off to an inauspicious beginning, losing to yeah. France. Yeah. Did you? There was an article, I think it was on ESPN, about how Greg Popovich is a great NBA coach, but he doesn't understand this Olympic international thing very well. He's well, not I'm not sure that I would say that he doesn't understand the international game. He's a pretty smart guy, even though he's incredibly annoying. Um, yeah. But I would say, I think it is time for somebody to question, is this the right guy to be coaching this team? I think in the last eight international games that he's been the head coach, they're five and three, which, yeah. for, which for the United States basketball team is horrifically bad. Um, I, that's, that's the point I would make. Is it, it doesn't mean he's not a good coach. It may be he's not a good coach for this group of guys. Uh, this amalgamation of talented parts who don't have, you know, 82 games to gel to, to get into championship form. They have a lot less and they're coming from somewhere else and they're tired and they're injured and all those other things. Well, I'm Maybe not even not sure if they're injured, but I'm tired of him, of him saying, you know, this is no surprise. Uh, you know, the world has caught up. Okay. I get it. The world is much better. It's much more competitive. All of these teams that they're playing have their own NBA players, but Mm -hmm. on a player by player comparison, there is no way that France should be beating us. I mean, we have Kevin Durant, we have Damian Uh Lillard, you go down the list. Those lineups should not be close. And for us to have, for us to lose, and I don't care. Oh, well, we haven't played together. Okay. I get it, but we've overcome that before. There is still a talent gap there that is significant. I honestly, I think part of the problem is that, these guys, it's not that they're not playing hard, but I don't think they play with the same level of ruthlessness 
that would have been exhibited by like the Jordan dream team. Uh, these guys are now their own little industries. They got other stuff going on. Sure. I, they're trying, but I don't think it means the same thing to these guys in terms of representing their country. Maybe a few of them. Okay. But not the main guys. And if you're going to go into international competition with that sort of attitude, um, yeah, you're not going to fare well because these other teams want to kill us, right? I mean, beating the U.S. is that's the pelt that you want on the wall. And if we're not going to show up at 100% effort, focus, all that stuff, we're going to lose. I mean, we have a chance to not even make it out of the initial play-in round, you know, the round robin to get to the uh, quarterfinals. There, because I think another team in our group i forget who it is is actually pretty good far better than france yeah, which yeah. would be which would be a monumental failure so if i if i'm to take popovich's word the rest of the world has caught up okay what well, they're 12 12 members of the olympic squad is that right i mean olympic i don't know if they have 14 but yeah it's somewhere around there you can't tell me the one through five in the world is on this team possibly maybe, you mean, maybe what do you mean one through five best players in the world there's there's a couple there's a couple other places but they're not in not on france's team correct uh, like for so, instance luka Doncic is arguably maybe the sure. best player in the nba and he scored 48 points in in his first game so we don't have one through five of the best players in the league but we certainly have let's say uh, eight of the top 25 that are playing. I mean, there's no team that has multiple all, all NBA players like we do. Nobody, sure. First of all, nobody has two players like Durant and Lillard. Those two guys right. alone are better than any other tandem in the Olympics. So you need more than two. We, we've seen that, but you don't need 14. Uh, you should be able to get by France with two, um, fairly easily. Now you get in some tougher matches maybe, but I, I just, it doesn't feel like they care. It doesn't feel like it's, it's important to them. Maybe it's the fact there's no crowd. Maybe it's the fact there's no fans whatsoever. Uh, you said there's no electricity. I just want to point out to the folks who take him literally, there is electricity. <laughs> there is no electricity from the crowd because there is no crowd, but they have lights. So forget that. that was comment. The they couldn't even see the rim when they were shooting. <laughs> It was an unfair environment. They were shooting at the lights. Uh, but I, I, I don't see a lot of, I don't see a lot of energy for, I have watched some, I haven't watched a lot, but I've watched some, I don't see some of the energy that you normally expect. And you're right. It's, it, it's a trophy to knock off the United States in whatever event we're talking about. It's always, now we don't, we're not the best at every event, but I think if you're Toga, you're trying to beat, United States or whomever you're up against, but we are not, even in the gymnastics, we're not doing as well. The women's gymnastics, nobody cares about the men's gymnastics. So forget that. Can, women's you gymnastics. Name, can you even name a single member of the men's gymnastics team? Do we still have one? I'm not even sure. <laughs> I don't know. I honestly well, don't know. Because, you know, remember it, it, back when you and I were coming up, you know, let's yeah. go back into the 80s. You could name these guys. They were kind of household names. Yeah, Bart Connors. They were good, but that—that's not today. And 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 to be very honest, um, women's figure skating is more popular than men's figure skating. 
women's gymnastics is more popular than men's gymnastics. Those are two sports that I would say the female is the more interesting or tends to be the more interesting um, side of things. Well, you could even make the argument that for the U.S., certainly at Olympic competitions, the women's soccer team, first Mm -hmm. of all, they are, when I say better, I'm not comparing them if they played the men. My point is within the within the universe that they compete in, they're clearly better. The U.S. women's national team for the last, what, two decades has been either the best or the second best team in the world. I mean, the men's team is not among the top 30 teams in the world. So, but my point is, is that the players, you, I'm sure the average person on the street could, you'd have to find somebody that actually followed soccer. Just to say you find a hundred casual soccer fans, they could name more women, more members mm-hmm. of the women's national team than the men's team. I'm not sure they could name anybody on the men's team. I don't know that I could name anybody on the men's team right now. Yeah. I, I don't even know. Altador, you know, the previous team, Michael Bradley, Christian Pulisic. Um, you've got guys like that, but that's my point. Nobody knows who these guys are. Uh, uh, when the men's right. team made the run to the quarterfinals, they had Landon Donovan, um, mm-hmm. you know, who was probably the most well-known. Uh, At that point, with- yes. Clint Dempsey is another guy who's been a tremendous player overseas. But men's soccer in the U.S. at that level, nobody knows who these guys are. No, and then because they they don't win. Now, I I want to say something, and I'm going to upset somebody. I'm sure. I don't dislike women's soccer. I just dislike this team. I don't like these women uh, because of their well. It's kind of a broad brush. I mean, I don't know that everyone on the women's team you know, is sort of the Megan Rapino type. Okay. But the problem so is, I, is that the people that are most recognized as the leaders of this team are uh, Uber left wing wokesters. And they've kind of, they've used that platform in a political way. That's yeah. That's turned a lot of people off. I don't know whether to be honest, I don't know enough of the other players on the women's team to say that they're all like that. Um, I mean, for instance, what little I've seen of Alex Morgan, uh, she seems like they all seem like they're they're pretty cool people. I can't stand Megan Rapinoe for a number of reasons. Sure. Um, sure. She's a very very good player. She's one of the best players in the world. But again, she she's one of these people that has to politicize everything, and by doing so, she has created a situation much like the NBA and LeBron, where you've now basically instead of just focusing on your sport, you're using it for all of your pet causes. Um, mm-hmm. I would, and, and this isn't about shut up and dribble. It's, it's more about, are you actually more interested in winning soccer games? Or are you more interested in making pronouncements about your political views at this stage? And again, I, I will concede she has been one of the best players in the world, but it's time to sort of let's, let's stop that particularly now that you've lost and let's not hear anything more about your pet causes. How about your pet cause is we're going to win the gold medal, which we should, or we should at least be in the finals because that right. previous to losing to Sweden, I think they hadn't lost a game in their 20 and Oh, in their national competition. Yeah. So just to back up a step, I'll give you Alex. I'll give Alex Morgan half credit. Okay. And here's why before the game against New Zealand, they, Three women did not kneel for the national anthem. I'll give those three women half credit. They were all wearing Black Lives Matter, red, white, and blue uh, tops instead of USA. 
You're representing yeah. my country. Yeah, see, that's ridiculous. You're not representing your political cause. You're representing my country. And my country is not called Black Lives Matter. I don't care what colors you put behind it. So I give them all demerits for doing that. And the ones who kneeled, get off the field. I, I, I don't want to see you. You are there to represent your country. If you can't take your privileged life and put it aside to represent your country, don't go. That's period. I don't care what sport it is. I don't care who you are. If you think the political stage of the Olympics is for you to put out your political message, I don't care what the message is. You could be pro-conservative, pro-Donald Trump, whatever you want. I don't want to see that at the Olympics. You are representing your country. Unless you're from Russia, then you're representing the Russian Olympic Committee. I don't want to see it, and I'm tired of seeing it. I'm tired, disgusted of seeing it. Sue Bird, who I am no fan of in the WNBA, had to apologize for standing for the national anthem. Yeah. Because she said I was disres- they thought I was disrespectful because I was standing for the national well, anthem. You, you yeah. better be careful. Well, that's exactly the same thing that happened to Drew Brees. Um, yeah. So you better be prepared to be very, very fatigued all the time because this is not going to stop. And in fact, the larger the competition, the more that these people feel entitled, bigger audience for me to promote all of my very, very important political viewpoints that I must share with everyone. Because frankly, that's more what these people care about now than, I mean, Mm -hmm. to be honest, I think LeBron is more about his social justice messaging than he is about basketball. Um, That doesn't mean that he doesn't want to win basketball games, but on balance, if you asked him what is more important to me right now, I'm pretty sure that he would say getting out the woke message to all of my peeps out there. That's what he's about. And that's what the women's soccer team is about. And that's what everyone is about now. And that's the part I believe in representing the name on the front, not the name on the back. And I don't care what your name on the back is. I don't care who you are. I I was taught that early on. You represent the school, the college, the organization you play for on the front of that jersey. What's on the back? You can give Joe Paterno a lot of grief for a lot of different things. Didn't have names on the back of the jerseys, okay? Because it wasn't about you. It's about winning the game. It was about representing the university. Now, you can say maybe he didn't do the greatest job of that all the time. That's a different discussion. But he, you were representing Penn State University. It didn't matter what your name was. You were representing that school and everybody who goes to that school. I mean, we, we like to give each other hard times. You, me, and other people. We have, we have a listener who's a huge Penn State fan. And I like to give him a hard time because he's a Penn State fan. When you have a team or an individual who represents your school or your organization – that reflects on you rightly or wrongly. It reflects on you. So when I see somebody disrespecting the organization to which I belong, and we talked about this last time, tribes, we're all in a tribe of some sort. When I get to see somebody disrespecting that, it bothers me. It should bother them that they think it's okay to just push their agenda because I don't tune into the Olympics to see your agenda. I don't tune into a football game to see your agenda. I tune in to see a football game because crazy i know that i want to see the game i don't care about all this other stuff we haven't talked since uh football came out and said they were gay football is gay football is lesbian football no football isn't all those things football is football period you know and and the people you're trying to i guess suck up to don't watch your game for the most part i'm not saying nobody who's gay what doesn't watch football but 
the vast majority of people who are gay are probably not watching your game. So what are you trying to prove exactly? You know, I, I don't, I don't understand. This was a topic later in the show, but sports are political, even though nobody who watches sports actually wants them to be political. The only people who want to be political are the people participating in them, but the people watching them have no desire for a political message ever about anything. Play the game. That's well, what I'm by, here for. By and large, that's game. true. That's true for most sports. I would say that the NBA has a constituency. It's the wokest league, and and there right. are people that watch the NBA uh, of all the leagues that are uh, that are apparently interested in this uh, ridiculous virtue signaling that goes on. And of course, the leadership of the NBA is incredibly sure. woke. Uh, of course. All the other leagues are heading in that direction as well. I mean, the NFL has just continued to beclown itself. Um, mm-hmm. But the reason they do it is because it gets them attention and backslaps. Oh, and by the way, lots of money. Colin Kaepernick, boy, oh boy, the best career choice he ever made was to become a sub-mediocre, unemployed QB and transform that into what? 20 40 million dollars now from Nike as some sort of fake activist for whatever his cause is which is unclear to me other than self promotion i mean he has made a fantastic business decision and so has Megan Rapino and so have all these other people so never forget the bottom line here is that adopting these incredibly left-wing trendy positions is a way to gain influence and a way to gain money and that is part of what drives all of this stuff. Yeah. Let's, let's move on from the Olympics because we could talk about that forever. Uh, and, and this wasn't on the rundown, but it came out late this afternoon. Uh, the Black Lives Matter chapter in Dallas, Texas. I saw this. This is hilarious. So I'm not going to read the whole letter, but basically they went to the, the richest, whitest section of Dallas called Highland. I think it's Highland Park. Uh and asked the white people in that neighborhood to not send their children to any of the Ivy League schools or any of the uh, U.S. News and World Report top 50 schools so that those slots can be left open for black and brown people. And you need to put up or shut up because you might be an ally, but if you're not willing to have pain and deal with it, you're not really part of the, the movement. So my question to you is, how many of these people do you think will actually take them up on this? Because... And somebody went and actually clicked. I can tell you right now, zero. You they they basically said, well, not basically, they came out and said, any money you've gotten, any career advancement you've gotten came at the oppression of white and brown or black and brown people. And you have to admit that you are a racist and agree to send on this pledge. And if you don't have children under 18, you need to get your friends and neighbors and relatives to do it for them and, and pressure them to do this. That's yeah. pretty bold. I would hey, say, listen, I love it. I mean, I, I love the left eating the left. So now you've got, uh, this is the logical extension of what this organization stands for. In fact, why would you stop at telling them not to send their kids to college? Why wouldn't you then write a letter and say, Hey, by the way, that mansion you live in right now, you need to give it to a black person. You need to move out, uh, yep. buy a double wide or go live in a refrigerator box, but because that's on stolen land, right, from an indigenous person, and then all of your wealth was inherited from slave slaveholders, and so therefore, please turn over your mansion and your car keys to the, the next black person you see on the street, vacate your neighborhood, and go live in a mud hut somewhere. I mean, it's exactly the same logic. 
Exactly the same. <laughs> well, they only sent it. They claim they only sent it to Democrats in those in that neighborhood. Um, I'm pretty sure the Republicans told them to go pound sand. But uh, if I got one of those letters, I would take a picture of it and laugh and laugh and laugh. That's what I would do. I would laugh. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm but again, what they're doing is actually very, very amusing to me because if you if you listen to what all of the white progressives in these uber wealthy progressive enclaves be- supposedly believe and what they're constantly hashtagging about, they mm-hmm. should actually welcome this idea. And so what, yes. it's, what it's going to do, it's going to embarrass these people into what, doing what we all know they're going to do, which is to say, are you kidding? If, if this actually has some cost to us, we're not going to do anything. I mean, we're all, we can all day long post stuff on Twitter and send memes and call for other people to be fired. But you're asking us to actually adopt the principles, the ridiculous principles that we've been espousing? No, 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 no. No, because Muffy has to go to Princeton. And Percival has to go to Yale. And that's there's nothing that's going to get in the way of that. Muffy and Percival, okay. I'll have to check the rosters next year for that. Uh, just, that was an aside. I just got that an email, and I thought, I got to share that. Uh, do you want to talk about the PSA that CNN aired last week um, in prime time? Well, see, it, since I was on vacation last week, I don't even know what, what this is, so... So they did a they did an hour long PSA on early signs of dementia and how to recognize them, and how to how to help uh, loved ones who are suffering from early onset dementia. Um, you so might have was called that it backed by multiple vignettes of, of Joe Biden. No, it was speaking. actually Joe Biden having a town hall. It was Joe I Biden see. having a town hall. Oh, is this which, is this the thing with Don Lemon? Yes. Okay. <laughs> the farce where I saw the photo from the back of the town hall, which looked like, um, you know, there was, there was something like 17 people that were seated there. Maybe they were cardboard cutouts. I, I don't know. It's hard to tell. Biden came on and I didn't get any of the quotes cause I just didn't, they were nonsensical. Everything he said sounded like a crazy man. Uh, had no idea where he was, what he was doing, how it was going on. It, it showed now and the polls just came out, uh, on popularity and somebody said in one of the articles, this is the man who got more votes for president than any other presidential candidate in the history of the United States. And less than 50% of the people like him and approve of him. That's not good. I would think. Uh, but he just looks like he he's lost. He's completely lost. Somebody actually came out yesterday and said that uh, they think he, he's going to have to resign or be removed with the 25th amendment because it's very obvious. He's does not know what's going on, but ever. that's been obvious for a year. At least, at so least. So why would we think that they know that we know that he's in some stage of cognitive decline, which is accelerating? So what? Yeah. I, so I don't think it changed anything because I don't think Kamala they Harris. from the beginning. But Kamala Harris does not represent a good fallback option in no. their mind. For them, and, it's all about political expediency. And you are correct. They're terrified of the idea that so now we have to rely on Kamala, who – what did she survive during the Democratic primaries? Like she was gone after the first debate, I think. Well, she was gone before the first primary. She was gone before um, New Hampshire. That, that's what I she, meant. Meaning she was one of the first people that had to formally bow out yep. when all yep. of the experts, oh, she fits the bill. She checks all the boxes. You know, she's got all the <laughs> intersectional, all the intersectional qualities that we require in our, 
you know, the right skin color and the right gender and all this other stuff. And she is just an intensely unlikable person. Uh, well, even I think among, that's, remember this is this is Democratic voters. They couldn't yeah. stand her. No, well, I think I think if you look at it, you say, okay, we can prop Joe up as this milk toast crazy man, but at least he's got some semblance of likability. I don't know where they come with that, but that's some people have said that. Kamala has none of that. She has none of that. Whatever it is you think Biden has, she got none of it. And she shows up. And she basically has all of the worst attributes of Hillary Clinton in terms of her personal imperiousness, her lying, but she's dumb. And and, I'm not going to say that to be mean. She's not. She Hillary Clinton is not nearly the politician that her husband is. Because Bill Clinton was one of the most gifted politicians of almost any generation, but she's not a stupid person. Hillary Clinton is relatively smart. Kamala Harris is not. And the reason I say that is if you listen to her even attempt to answer questions extemporaneously on almost any topic, she it's a struggle. It is a painful watch to, to look at her as she... In some ways, I mean, obviously she's not suffering from dementia like Joe, but I cringe. I'm thinking this is the best that you've got. You can't answer. And these are questions that are being served up by the toadies of the press. These aren't even difficult questions. These are, they're lobbing these in so she can clobber them over the fence. She's terrible. So she really has no likability factor going in her favor. And I think they recognize that. So they realize, well, if Joe's out and she's in place, what are we going to do for 2024? And then what do they do if they somehow basically tell her, yeah, you're not going to be the standard bearer, right? Because now they got to deal with their base. What are you going to push out the, the minority woman who's going to be the first of, of, you know, her gender and race to be president. How are you going to do that? If you're the democratic party, you're stuck with her. It's well, so looking back when Biden chose her. Okay. Now his criteria was woman, some minority group other than female. You're telling me that of all the people, all the female Democrats in the country, the one who, couldn't even make it to the first primary is the one you chose. Obviously people said, we don't want her. And yet you chose her. Really? There wasn't another black Latino female that you could have chosen anywhere in the country that had no history that you could have said, it doesn't, I don't think Kamala Harris made the Biden Harris ticket a winner. I think Donald Trump made the Biden Harris ticket a winner. So I don't think it had anything to do with uh, we, we keep talking about and, and a lot of people write about this. He, he got 80 million votes, probably, maybe, possibly. But they weren't voting for Joe Biden and Kamala Harris. They were voting against Donald Trump. I saw a sign that said, you know, don't blame me. I voted for Trump. And I don't blame that. I blame all the people who voted for Joe Biden. And I blame Donald Trump for Donald Trump not winning in 2020. Because he couldn't keep his big gap shut, he had to always be out there. Well, there, and that's that's partially true. Uh, there's there's also things. The the COVID virus is what rescued Joe Biden. Sure. If, sure. if you well, don't have if we don't have COVID, um, Donald Trump wins in a in a I think in a Reagan esque landslide, literally, because the economy was booming. 
you're, there is no way that he loses that election. COVID was a godsend for the Democratic Party in many ways. And they, they used it. Uh, Got to give them credit. They weaponized that uh, for maximum political advantage. So, yeah. and that's, that's the nature of politics, right? You can't control these kind of events, but you're right. I mean, Trump, Trump hurt himself because he, his personality is one where he can't temper, um, you know, any of his worst tendencies. I think he hurt himself tremendously in the first debate. We've talked about this. If he would have mm-hmm. just kept his mouth shut, as you said, and let Joe try to blather on uh, into incoherence, which is what eventually started to happen. But no, yeah. he couldn't, and he kept interrupting. And so people would just watch that. I was watching, and I'm like, just shut up, right? And yep. so, yeah, there's aspects of his personality where he generates intense loyalty from people. But mm-hmm. for people who are undecided and who are presented with any other palatable option, and they look at the way he behaves, and they think, well, yeah. I just can't, can't do it. So yeah, it was it was a combination of factors, and Trump bears you know a substantial portion of the blame for that, even though he can't control the the world events that were sort of unprecedented no. that set us. No, yeah, it, it did benefit in, in many ways. I'm not even sure Biden would have been the nominee without COVID. Honestly, I, I think that there was a big push not to get Bernie, but I Bernie was ahead when COVID hit, and only because he couldn't go out and screw it up. Was Biden able to hold well, on? Well, that's actually a very interesting point because if you didn't have COVID and therefore the justification for Biden to be in his basement eating tapioca, um, how you couldn't have justified that, right? No. You, you, if, if there was no COVID, trying to explain why Biden for weeks at a time is not meeting the press, is not on the stump, that's not sustainable. So you're right. No. I'm not sure what they would have done. I mean, I think at that point they, you know, they replace him with Cuomo you know, or somebody, right? Because Cuomo isn't, isn't governor death at that point. He's, uh, you know, he's still, but then again, Cuomo's national profile only rose because the media decided that he was the shining example of how to kill as many people as possible at skilled nursing homes and, and win an Emmy. Um, so yeah, I don't know. It's an interesting, it's an interesting replay to see what happens if there is no COVID because you're right. I'm not sure Biden, I don't think he can campaign in a normal environment. I don't, I don't. Well, let's, let's say he makes the 2024 and for some reason he's running again and there is no national. He's, he's the incumbent, but <clears throat> does he pull a Carter and just, you know, plow into the ground and keep digging or does or do they handle him so that they yeah, he's, like, they're going later, to make know. sure one way or another that that uh, Joey B is going to understand you're not running again. Maybe they'll just tell him, no, Joe, listen, they've changed the rules. You can only have one term. That's it now. Oh, okay. Uh, Whatever they need to do, whatever they need to do is he, he will be shuffling off the stage if he can even make it uh, to the end of his, his term. And I'm not convinced that he can. I'm not either. Every time I see him talk, I get questioned more and more whether or not he actually even knows where he's at at any time. Uh, And that brings up another point. Um, I don't know if you, while you were on vacation last week, um, we found out that uh, reconciliation can do amazing things that we didn't even know it could do. You thought it was just about budgetary things. Apparently, we can make immigration law with reconciliation. Because sure Joe can. Biden could. I, I don't 
I don't think I understand reconciliation the way I thought I did. If you can make sweeping comprehensive border immigration policy or law using reconciliation, because I'm not sure how did they write the previous bill in pencil and they're going to erase it and just rewrite it however they want. Is that how this works? Am I missing something? Well, you've learned by now that words mean only what progressives say that they mean. So for instance, infrastructure doesn't mean roads and bridges and things like that. It means anything that's in the cornucopia of progressive projects that they want to implement. Infrastructure is now guaranteed uh, pre-K and name, you know, and environmental grants to people who spike trees. It, it, It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. So these people make no bones about the fact that there is no limiting principle for them. The Constitution is an irrelevancy. Statutes, uh, anything that is an impediment to them is simply ignored. So, of course, reconciliation can be used. Remember Barack Obama's statement? If Congress won't act, I will. That was his guiding principle as the supposedly limited executive that was succeeded by the tyrant, Donald Trump. So, if Congress won't act and I will as the guiding philosophy, well, guess what? If the Republicans won't agree to pass our pork-laden atrocity of a second stimulus, we'll just use reconciliation because that's another way to do it. And if we don't do that, we'll just have Joe wave his uh, walker and they'll use that. I mean, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter to them. The means don't matter. The end is all that matters. So I'm not sure if everybody's paying attention, and I know a lot of people probably aren't, but it feels as though – so my question would be, we've had divided Congresses before. I don't know that we've had a 50-50 very often, but we've had the Democrats in the Senate even under Barack Obama in 2008, 2009 – I'm sorry, 2009, 2010, held both houses of Congress. And they didn't do this. What has changed to the point where they think these politicians think it's okay to literally do whatever we want, however we want, and we don't have to justify it because it doesn't really matter. It's just words in in invisible ink that we just change when we feel like that's what it's supposed to say. Now, I can understand the the, the infrastructure bill from a point because it's it's monetary. And if you think about Congress, everything is monetary. So you really can't take anything that's not monetary out and say it's never monetary. But we're going to change. We're going to take people who are here illegal, 11 million people. And we're going to say, based on a bill we've already passed, that we're going to change to now include this stuff. That's okay. And the American people are supposed to be okay with that. That's a, that's a crazy thought to me. I don't care who you are. I don't care who you voted for. That is insane. The government should not be able to just make it up. Why do we even have three branches of government? What's the point? Right. Well, you, you, you mentioned the key issue. This will be determined by whether or not the American people are going to allow this to happen. And what the Democrats have come to understand is we pay no penalty for this. So yeah, they, they have always been about will to power. Okay. So there, and they have no, I mean, th- that's the thing we've talked about this as it relates to the Supreme Court, right? Why is it that you know 
that any Democratic nominee to the Supreme Court is going to vote exactly as you would expect. Okay, there are no defectors among the the progressive wing of the court ever. Right. So you never have Sonia Sotomayor going off the reservation to join an opinion by Clarence Thomas, nor Kagan, nor Breyer, nor Ginsburg. Go back, go back, go back. It doesn't matter. Why is that? Because ultimately they are not doing jurisprudence. They are doing policy. They are legislating. They're doing philosophy. They're doing ideology. And so knowing that it doesn't matter that they're potentially constrained by a constitution, which, for instance, doesn't actually address a right to an abortion. That doesn't limit somebody who couldn't give a rip about the constitution, which is an antiquated document that was developed by slavers, and therefore we don't care about it. If you're a policymaker, all you're doing is telling people what your enlightened thoughts are about the way things should be run today. And since you're the one that's in control, you get to decide. That is a very, very easy philosophy to implement. It's much harder when you actually are bound by laws and due process and sort of, as you said, checks and balances where, guess what? When Congress doesn't do your bidding, you don't get as the executive to do Congress's job. You know what you have to do? You got to do the hard spade work of convincing enough people that your policy should be implemented democratically, which also means getting them to vote out the people that won't cooperate. That's long and arduous, and it's not for progressives because they don't like that process. They want we're going to use judges to ram it through. And if we can't use them, we're simply going to overwrite whatever the legislation is. And of course, our other method is we're going to increase the size and the scope of the administrative state and allow a bunch of unelected, unaccountable bureaucrats to impose all this stuff at the regulatory level, and it will have the same force of law. So that's the reason this is going on is because one party in this country really has no intention of adhering to any of these things that thwart their agenda. Now, the media will report this as if, and our friend Dr. Fia would identify this as somehow being the conservatives, and yet that's just a flat-out lie. And, and the reason it's a lie is because all you have to do is observe exactly what goes on when they are governing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're, you're completely right. Uh, I don't want to give Dr. Fia any more credit, but... Uh, I do want to talk about something that's becoming a bigger, bigger issue in the country, and that's uh, uh, the vaccine passport. Um, oh yes, please let's talk about that. Got this thing going on. Um, Thirty health systems throughout the country have said you have employees, all employees have to get the vaccine or they can't work there. Uh, the NFL is saying if they miss a game because of an unvaccinated person, they can dock both teams their pay. Uh, if it can't be made up, so we're going down this path. So I, I want to make something clear because I heard I heard an argument um, from I can't remember who it was now, but they made an argument that there's 60 years of vaccines out there. We've had vaccines for polio and the flu and everything else for decades, and this should be no different. But it is different, and here's why. And and I want to be very clear. I got the vaccine. Okay, I. I for my personal situation, I felt getting the vaccine was the best thing for me. But I want to be very, very clear to all of you out there. If you are concerned that somebody else, if you got the vaccine and you're concerned that somebody else didn't get the vaccine, then you must not believe the vaccine works because if you are vaccinated, it doesn't really matter if they didn't get the vaccine because you shouldn't get 
this. And if you do, it should be very mild. But this is an experimental product. And I want to be very clear on that. This is not a rigorously tested for years product. When we talk about 60 years of vaccines, we've had the flu vaccine for almost 50 years. And you've had iterations and changes over the years. This is a product that came to market in nine months. So it is considered experimental by the FDA. It is not considered fully vetted and completely reviewed in the way we would normally do any other drug. So to say to somebody, you have to take this or you can't work here, let's say as a nurse. As a nurse, you, can't, you don't have to work here. You have a choice. You can quit working here and go get a job somewhere else. But how long before all health systems say, you must have this vaccine to work as a nurse? Well, wait a minute. We have a shortage of nurses. So you're telling me you make them get a vaccine that you know is not complete. We don't know what 10 years from now what this looks like. Maybe we don't know nothing. what it looks like two years from now. And, and the, no other point, the other point is that this is not a vaccine like other vaccines. Correct. Meaning, meaning and, and this stuff becomes very, very dense and complicated. And I do not purport to be, I am not a medical expert. However, I've read a decent enough amount of this to at least have a limited understanding. So, you know, the mRNA technology that is used is not the same thing as a normal, let's say, polio vaccine. Okay, it doesn't work the same way. And so there are many, many things that we don't understand about what this is doing. So for instance, and see, what is incredibly infuriating is that anyone who wants to talk about this is immediately, first of all, you, you can't get on social media, right? All of the, they will censor you, they'll delete you. And this is not just some random guy in his basement. These are epidemiologists and virologists and biostatisticians, people who have decades of experience who are saying, many of them, they're not out there saying, don't get vaccinated. What they're saying is there are tremendous things that are potentially significant negative consequences from these vaccines that we don't fully understand right now. And so this, this environment of coercion, you know, our friend, he he's on his soapbox about this, basically saying anyone who doesn't want to take this vaccine is essentially a reprobate who is selfish and is not doing the common good. Well, guess what? He clearly doesn't know anything about the research relating to the spike protein, for instance. So I'm, I'm going to just so a few things. And this is, again, this is not some person that I like found their website on some link to Alex Jones, who's on his ham radio. Okay. These are epidemiologists from other countries who are board certified, who are treating patients. So one of the things that they've said about this spike protein is they fear they've actually seen in their patients, not only cardiac issues, but severe respiratory issues literally days after patients have taken this vaccine. Now, is it the majority? No, but is a sizable minority. And one of the things that this epidemiologist said is, well, he gave his patients what's called a D-dimer test, which Mm -hmm. is a blood test to determine whether clotting is going on in the body. Chad, you know a lot about this stuff because you used to sell, you were in the pharmaceutical industry. And the reason he did this is because he wanted to see whether there was an elevated amount of clotting. Now, D-dimer tests are not used to locate and identify large clots like a DVT, like a deep vein thrombosis. There's other tests for that. 
What it does tell you is within the vascular system, whether elevated clotting is going on that shouldn't exist. And what he found is that something like 62% of his, 62% of his patients tested for elevated clotting after taking these vaccines. And his point was, I'm not telling you don't take the vaccine because of this. What I am telling you is these are things that we need to very carefully study. We need to have an open, informed conversation within the medical community about what this might mean. And he said, nobody can tell you sitting there, no Dr. Fauci, nobody from the CDC, that you will have no long-term effects from this. Because he said, I'm seeing short-term effects that are very serious in my patients. Who knows what we're going to see you know, in two to three years. And so for people to be adopting this position as if there is no negative consequences, anyone who opposes this for personal or medical reasons is a crank. They are either completely ignorant, and that's understandable because the media is attempting to suppress this, or they're just flat out propagandizing because they simply want to parrot the narrative. And I frankly have no tolerance. Listen, to your point, Go ahead. If you want to go get the vaccine for you and your family, it's your decision and it's your doctor's decision. Don't tell me what I'm supposed to be doing with my family and my kids. And speaking of kids, I think one of the most outrageous things is the CDC recommending that kids who are otherwise healthy, who are 12, 15, 17 years old, there is no medical basis on a risk assessment to say that they should be taking an unknown experimental product when we know from the hard data from the CDC itself that the likelihood of a fatal uh, aspect of a fatal virus, right, for someone in that demographic is basically the same chance as getting struck by lightning. So to say that you should willy-nilly be telling your kids to do this is outrageous, in terms of the medical science, which supposedly these people are following. They're even advising people and kids who have had COVID, meaning they have the antibodies, to go ahead and get the vaccine anyway. They can't point to a single medical basis for that recommendation. None. Yep. So the D-dimer, as you spoke about, is not the most... um most accurate test for DVTs or, or blood clots, but it, it is a, it is something you do. It's a very easy test to do. And they do that when they're trying to say, okay, we, we want to look further. So right. That was his point. His point was he wasn't yeah. going to use it to identify a right. clot to right. the level of a DVT. His point was, I wanted to see whether clotting at an elevated level, which isn't pinpointed is going on. And that's Correct. the reason he did that. Yeah. So uh, it's called a hypercoagulable state. And some people are more prone to it. Some people have a higher propensity to have blood clots because of their, their chemistry in, in their bodies. And I think that's the point about this drug. Everybody reacts differently to every substance you put in your body. Some people can drink caffeine. They could drink Jolt Cola, which you can't still get, but when you could. They could drink it five minutes before they go to bed and sleep fine. Another person drinks it at 8 a.m. and can't sleep at midnight because they are so wired from the, the chemical. So we're expecting people to just do something based on limited science. And there is some science, but limited science. I'm concerned by that. The Pennsylvania uh, State Board, uh, yeah, let me say this better. The Pennsylvania Department of Education came out today and recommended anybody over the age of 12 get the vaccine. That's the 
Department of Education, not Department of Science, Department of Education for the fall. They want all kids in the state of Pennsylvania to, that are over the age of 12 to get the vaccine. I have not seen from my local school what that's going to look like if they're going to require it, if they're going to require to homeschool if you're not vaccinated, uh, what mask wearing looks like in a school. What is it going to return to them? I have no idea. We start school in a month, and I have no idea what their expectations are because they haven't shared it yet. But it does concern me for the reasons you brought up. We don't it, – it's a statistically low – Incentive issue for school age children, 18 and under, you know, even in your 20s, very low incident. And I don't want to I don't want to hear anybody share somebody famous who has covid. You can show me one person that's famous has covid that does not apply to everyone simply because a famous person who was a denier, like they're pulling up some, some guy who was on a radio show host who didn't believe in vaccination. Now he's got covid. OK. Has, one has nothing to do with the other. So stop using that as a, a rationale for, see, you should get your vaccination. Okay. We don't know what his other issues were. We, we, st- we need to stop f- talking about this the way it is. And you brought up the misinformation on social media. If you bring it up, if you go against the narrative, whether it was um, hydrochlorocloxiquine uh, or, um, you know, that the Wuhan virus came from the Wuhan lab. But of course now were, that's changed. Right. Well, that's they, there's there's You're too much information to for them to suppress that now. So now it's oh well, maybe we're going to explore that. Right. Well, it used point, to be you were you were just completely illegitimate, a tinfoil hat wearer. Correct. But my point around that was from the White House, we were told that they're talking to Facebook and other social media that you should be banned from all social media, and they're telling Facebook what to take off. So we've talked about this in the past. Facebook is a private company. They can put on or take off whatever they want as a private company. When the government, when the government tells them what to take off, and that's from Jen Psaki telling us, we tell them what we want them want to have them removed. That is government interference, and that is illegal. What they are doing is illegal. It cannot be done. That is a First Amendment violation and should not be allowed. But yet, we're not really hearing much about this from the mainstream media. It's like. We got to get this misinformation off off the internet. We, we right. can't get this now, misinformation. And again, if you don't if you don't understand how outrageous this is on multiple levels, just imagine. Again, we have to play this alternative universe game. Just imagine that instead of the Biden administration, we were now under the second Trump administration, and Sarah Huckabee Sanders announced from the podium that. Trump and his team, his committee of sciency experts, was instructing various platforms, tech platforms, Facebook, uh, certain things will need to be removed that they consider to be misinformation. The the howls, the, the literal paroxysms of outrage. Okay. And right people, so. What? And yeah. rightly so. We should I be mean, outraged. Of course. It would be, again, yes, tyranny has fallen. We are now living under a dictatorship. And you know what? They would be right to be outraged because this is these tech platforms are now state actors. Okay? <laughs> They're not private companies because when the government is dictating to them what information is allowed and what information is suppressed, that's literally no different than the Soviet Union. No different at all in terms of that particular thing. If you're going to be able to tell private companies, here's what you're allowed 
to have on your platform. And here's what we're going to tell you is misinformation that we don't like, and you have to remove it. That's no different from the communist model. That's no different from East Germany. That's no different from China. That's exactly how those kind of regimes operate. And yet, yep. to your point, Chad, have you heard a single member of the media who, right, their job is to, what is Dr. Fia? Truth to power. Has he written a single word about this, that this is, huh, this seems to be a little bit concerning? No, because they don't care because it's promoting the narrative that they want. So their principle yeah. is not is not fear of overweening government. It's only we need to eliminate the people in charge who we don't agree with. But as long as our team controls the levers of power, it's all good. It's all good. And, and I, that's where my principal comes in and says, I don't like what you're saying, but I think you have a right to say it. But infringing upon my right to say something that disagrees with you is completely anathema to me. I, it bothers me immensely. Uh, so the whole thing is out there. I just brought up the the, the vaccine passport. I, I don't know where it's going to go. Uh, I suspect that we're going to be crushed by this in the fall as school starts up again, that they're going to be just pounding people uh, to get this. And I, I am concerned that it you're forcing people to do something that you can't back it up with actual data. You're just giving your opinion. Well, and that's why I want to bring it back to one of the things that Dr. Fia constantly says is that this is, you know, these people who, in his mind, are the mouth breathers who oppose science or any intellectual, many of them, uh, you know, are, are evangelicals. They're all the, the clueless evangelicals who are clinging to fear and nostalgia and whatever else. But he always frames it as they're fixating on rights as opposed to what's moral. Well, here's the thing. No, this is immoral. Okay, it is immoral to coerce people to take a vaccine for which you do not have sufficient information to tell them that it is completely safe. And in fact, one of the other things that has never been reckoned with, because the media has no interest, if we're going to talk about the morality of the vaccine, then we also need to talk about the relative morality of all of the things that have been imposed over the last year, including lockdowns and what, what health physical consequences have those things produced? Cause those are measurable as well. We've talked about this before, not only the psychosocial issues with increased suicides and people being thrust back into abusive environments because their kids can't actually go to school, but all of the elective surgeries that were put off for months and months and months that have now created other more serious medical problems, including people that have now died, right? That's Mm -hmm. never factored into the balance of this so-called morality of getting this vaccine. We now have information from both Great Britain and Israel that the current vaccines are failing, meaning there are large numbers of people who are getting COVID again. Is that ever discussed in this so-called calculus of the, the, the higher good? Well, wait a minute. So for instance, if you're telling me now that, the, and, they, and they use the same vaccines, they're using Pfizer for the most part, if that vaccine is failing, at least a substantial number of people are now testing positive again, shouldn't that be something that I would factor in in determining whether I would want to take an experimental 
vaccine that also has side effects, if you're also telling me we can't even guarantee whether it's going to be effective for a certain period of time, that seems like relevant information to weigh. And again, I'm not saying that your outcome would be, I'm not going to be vaccinated. People should make their own decision. But for Mm -hmm. the government to basically be mandating, there will be no opposition. There will be, we will brook no dissent and you will be coerced into doing this. And the fact that people are just sort of welcoming this is kind of mind boggling to me, but that's the place we're in right now. It is. And I, and I want to stress, I'm not telling you not to get the vaccine. I got the vaccine. My wife got the vaccine. My, all of my adult family members got the vaccine. Our children did not because they're in a very low risk group. Now, will I resent, regret that later? I don't know. And the only time we'll tell that for us getting it or for them not getting it. But I don't feel like it, I don't, and, and to Dr. Fia's point, it is my decision. And I will tell you, if you got the vaccine, shut up. We don't need to hear it from you. We also don't need you to tell me to get the vaccine if you're already vaccinated. Whether the Israeli studies are accurate, and I did read that the number of patients they're talking about is a really low number. So the percentage looks high. I'm not getting too alarmed by that yet, but I, I do want to point out if you got the vaccine, shut up. You don't need to go out there and preach to the rest of us because let everybody make their own decision. It's not a moral failure because you didn't get the vaccine when you don't know what the ramifications might be for you. And that's but what we you see. But you see there, that's the whole point, Chad, is you are not permitted to make your own decision because your own decision is going to conflict with the experts. Of course, the experts that we've selectively identified, because there's a whole bunch of experts that have many things to say that would dispute much of the narrative here. But see, that's the point is that they're not comfortable with you having the freedom to make those kinds of decisions because you're just not, you're liable to do something that they don't like. And we just can't well, have that because yeah. people like Dr. Fia and the rest of these so-called experts, they know best. And so because they know best and they're morally superior, they really should get to decide what the policy should be. That's just the way it is. It, isn't this the same group of people who told me, told women, it's your body, your decision? Does that only apply in abortion cases? Anything else? It's the government's decision, not right. yours? Yes, it's, it's a very uh, as as again. If there were no double standard, if there you know double standards are the only thing, or there's none. Um, yeah, yeah exactly. Fine. And they're also wanna... they're also the same people that refuse to reckon with all of the information that came forth from these same experts, which has been repeatedly proven to be incorrect from the very beginning. Now, again, I'm not blaming them for this because this was an unprecedented virus. Yeah. My point is, none of them will admit fallibility and say, all they have to say is, you know what? I'm not really sure. We don't know that. Oh, by the way, we were wrong about that. We're very sorry. We're, we're working in a constantly changing environment, but no, no, we just pretend and memory hold this all as if this has never happened. And tomorrow they're going to un, you know, unroll the scriptures again, and we have to follow them uncritically. That's the problem that I have. Well, and all fair, fair points. I want to finish up with the, um, FBI and the kidnapping plot against Gretchen Whitmer. Um, I don't know if 
you were on vacation, so you might not have seen this, but apparently there were 16 conspirators and 11 of them were FBI agents pushing the other five to kidnap Gretchen Whitmer. Um, I don't know where you come from, but that seems wrong somehow. You're basically creating a conspiracy and then kind of arresting people for the conspiracy you created. It doesn't seem weird to you. Well, again, so I, ha- I mean, I was aware of this story when it was first reported is the, is now the presumed motive that they want to, it was sort of like an entrapment motive that they wanted to gin up some of the MAGA folks to actually get in on this and then arrest them for it. That's what it appears to be. And I, I feel like I'm missing part of the story, but it just seems, it seems odd that you're sitting around a room of a group of people and most of them are your colleagues. You're trying to get a great, it's just a weird situation. I understand putting in an uncover per, undercover person into a, a hate group, but when the majority of the people in the group are also FBI agents, it seems a little odd to me that you're, I don't know. Is it, it just seems like the FBI doesn't seem to know what it's doing and they got caught with their pants down again. And it, uh, it just bothers me that people might go to jail because some loudmouth was egging them on to do something. Now they're still responsible for their actions. Don't get me wrong, but I don't know. It just doesn't, it doesn't seem right to me. Something seems wrong here. That's just my take on it. I don't know. Uh, yeah. The, the FBI from top to bottom, unfortunately, and of course there's still, very many honorable people that are in, in that organization, but I'm sorry. Um, the, the leadership of that organization has proven to be bone marrow, deep corrupt uh, in terms of Comey McKay, you go down the list, right? And so uh, unfortunately it's an agency that seems, as you said, to be uh, not only very confused about exactly what its mission is, but it's an agency that seems to be very lawless in many ways. Uh, in fact, think about the fact, if you've been reading about the individuals that the FBI has been tracking down who were merely present present at the uh, the so-called insurrection. So these are people, yeah. there's a guy in New York that I've been reading about who was never even inside the Capitol. He was mm-hmm. simply at the protest for, I don't know, and they have, they literally have it where they, because he's on video at certain points, they've tracked him. He was there for a half an hour. He left. He never was inside the building, never took part in any of that. And yet, because he told one of his neighbors that he was, you know, at the rally, the FBI basically raided him took all his stuff and and was treating him basically like some felon that they're going to house at Gitmo. This is the kind of stuff that the FBI is doing to people. And I'm sorry, but any American, no matter what their political stripes, should be very, very concerned. In fact, it used to be that people who identified as liberals would be the ones that were railing against this. All the people that protested the Vietnam War, right? Somehow we've undergone this twilight zone juxtaposition where people that wouldn't trust the government for anything, right, during the 1960s have now been become the people who in Orwellian fashion will support and apologize for any imaginable government abuse, it's incredible yep. to watch the head spinning that has gone on here. It's amazing. I feel like some of these, and there's there's some reports that uh, the San Bernardino 
shooter and, and some other, the pulse nightclub shooter that the FBI was warned in advance and didn't, didn't act. Now I'm going to be fair to them saying, basically you get a lot of tips. You can't, you don't know if every one of them is actually uh, an accurate tip. Uh, but it feels like the Gretchen Whitmer thing was more like we got to justify why we exist. So we're going to go find a plot and we're going to foil the plot because five idiots fell for whatever stupidity we shared with them. It, it doesn't make me thrilled to think this is what's going on there, but it's, it, 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 there are some great FBI agents. I'm sure just as a great policeman, but there's some bad apples in a lot of places. Right. And, and certainly- but remember this all feeds into the, the received wisdom now, which is that the greatest threat the country faces is from the, you know, the yeah. Q shaman and his white insurrectionist hordes. They are the risk. They're the domestic threat. And so all of this is, seems to be calculated and in some ways manufactured to, to support Right. That preconceived conclusion that that's really what's going on in the country. Pay no attention to the Antifa mobs. Pay no attention to BLM in the streets. Pay no attention to the 50 cities that were burning. No, no. What you need to focus on are the, the goofballs who, by the way, and we've said this how many times, who ran through the halls, who should be fully prosecuted. But those people are the real threat. Right. Even though. Oddly enough, for people that are constantly lampooned as having, you know, home RPGs and all manner of weapons of war, didn't seem to have a single one when they brought it to their great insurrection, which was, again, according to many people on the, the left of the political aisle, the worst thing that has happened in the, we almost lost the government, Chad. It almost mm. fell to the guy in the buffalo hat and a bunch yes. of people taking selfies in the Senate chamber. It almost yes. fell. Yes. Um, I don't know if you're aware of this, but even if Washington had fallen, we would still exist as the United States. It doesn't work the way they think it does. But that's besides the point. I want to finish up with a rant. I don't know where you went on vacation. Um, we went to Williamsburg, Virginia. I went to some really nice restaurants, which was good. Uh, two restaurants we went to had a, had a new um, portion oh, of the I, bill. I can anticipate this already. <laughs> so these were not cheap restaurants. So get, don't get me wrong. These were, you know, $50 and up plates of meals. Uh, and that's just for the meal. There's nothing else included that. Uh, but I got the bill and, and I want to stress, none of this was ever shared with me when I made the reservation. None of it was shared anywhere in signage in the, in the restaurant, nor by the waitress, the waiter, we had two, uh, or the owner who was walking around in, in either, any of the places there was a, get your bill, hand it to you, uh, and this is like a three hour meal. So this isn't a short affair hands me the bill. I take a look at it. There's the price for the meals. There's a price for the drinks. There's a price for uh, tax, but there's, a, there's another line there. that says meal fee. Now my first thought is meal fee. I, that's called the price of the meal, right? There's a, there's a separate line for meal fee, uh, which turned out to be 6% of the total price after tax. And I asked the waiter, I said, I'm confused. What's the meal fee? Well, this is the fee we charge to pay the staff a living wage. And we share it amongst <laughs> the cooks and the dishwashers and the busboys. And I said, um, 
isn't the price of my meal paying the staff a living wage? Well, yes, but we we're trying to trying to increase their their livelihood. I said maybe they should work elsewhere if this isn't sufficient for them because I just dropped two hundred dollars on a meal and you know, you're taxing me further. Oh, we can take that off if it's a problem. I said, yes, it's a problem because I've already paid you for the food. So they took it off. But I don't know if you experienced that anywhere. We experienced it two places uh, that we went to. Have you experienced that yet? I haven't experienced it, but I was reading about that because that was something that was going on in Minneapolis. So apparently this is the new trend where, yes, yeah. we're adding on we're adding on these. Uh, there it was called some sort of equity fee or something they at least where you went were smart enough to try to disguise it as something that sounded like <laughs> it had something to do with the meal right yeah uh, well and of course just, here's the thing off. the simple economics of it what i would have said is if they would have refused say well i was going to leave a 20 percent tip on my 200 dollar no, no. check now that's going to be 14 percent or whatever yeah. so well, it's very simple for me so just see so you know, the first place they took it off the second place they didn't and the second place got a lower tip proportionate to the meal fee tax. And, right. I, they and what I would say else. to the waiter is, listen, I'm, I'm very sorry. You were an excellent waiter. I would love yeah. to give you my standard gratuity, which is 20%. But unfortunately, since you've seen fit to insert this artificial surcharge, uh, I'm <laughs> going to do the money is fungible thing. And since I only intend to pay for my meal and what I would tip for it, you're going to get the reduced percentage. And But presumably you will be happy about that because the other 6% that you would have gotten is going to other impoverished people that are working at the restaurant. So it's all good. Yeah. So I, I just thought I'd share that with anybody out there. Take a look at your receipts. Just take a look at your receipts because you may have paid it and didn't even realize it. Uh, I haven't seen it everywhere. Uh, and it seems to be more in the, at least that I saw was the higher end places. But, you know, those are waiters, waiters and waitresses in those places probably pulling in more money than I am. Um, not that they're work, not working hard. Well, but the other thing that I would say to the owner is, so let me understand this because you control the pricing at your restaurant. And so if you're so concerned that the people that work for you are not making enough money based on the slave wages that you apparently are paying them, you have the unilateral ability to change that by reducing your profit margin on what you're charging for this meal. So for instance, if you've got a 10% margin on a $200 meal, I would presume that you're going to only take 5% of that for yourself and give the rest to your underpaid staff. But no, they don't want to do that. They want to keep their profit and then tell you, you should should actually pay even more. Well, if yes. you really believed the nonsense that you were spouting, that the people that work for you, because I would ask them, aren't you ashamed that you have people working at your restaurant that are apparently not paid enough? Why aren't yeah. you paying them enough? Oh, I can't <laughs> afford it. Well, why is that? Are you making an obscene profit? No, we only make a little bit of money. Well, I guess you're going to have to make less because I'm not subsidizing that additional fee. You're the one that controls what you pay your labor. If you're not paying them enough, it's a simple fix. The fix is not to charge me extra on top of the meal and a tip. It's crazy. Yeah. Well, it is. And I, I don't know if you've been to Little Italy in Baltimore. I'm sure you have. Uh, but they put the prices and the menu items on a board outside the restaurants. I think every restaurant should do that. 
here's what our prices are. Do you, when you walk in, you know what approximately what you're going to pay. If you don't tell me, and then you put it on there at the end, I didn't get to make an informed decision. I just get to feel bad to pay for your staff or whatever fee you're putting in. I should know up front what it's going to cost. And if I choose to come in and I know that's what's going to be, I know that. Yeah. Well, but the other way to handle it, no. to your point, the other way to handle it is just increase the price of every menu item by 6% across the board. Now, the reason they don't want to do that is because that will price them at a point where people aren't going to want to eat at their restaurant. So they can't do that because, fine, if the steak is normally $50, now make the steak $58 or whatever, and then take the extra $8 behind the scenes because I don't care what you're doing with it. I simply need to know what I'm paying for and give it to your staff. But again, they don't do that either because that creates a problem for them in terms of market competition because nobody else is charging $58 for a steak. So guess what? No. People aren't going to eat at their restaurant. No. And there's another, there's a sandwich shop we go to or used to go to regularly. Uh, they put up a sign in the last two months that says they're charging 4% more for people who use credit cards. So they're charging me, which again, just so you know, I've had, I have some experience in this. The MasterCard and Visa agreements do not allow you to pass on your costs to the consumer. You can lose your ability to accept credit cards from those two organizations by passing on the cost to the, to the consumer. Now, if you, put, if you raise the prices of your products, that's fine. But a 4% across the board for using a credit card is, illegal, is against the terms of service of those companies. I won't say it's illegal. We stopped going because... They're charging me more. I'm paying their fees on top of the food that's already gone up in price and gotten smaller. Yeah. Seems like a lose-lose for me because uh, I, I don't know about you. I don't carry a lot of cash with me anymore. I have some cash, but I'm not going to – I'm going to use it for places where I could only use cash. I'm not going to use it at a restaurant. I'm going to use a credit card because I can. Uh, so it, it bothers me when companies do that, but people are feeling the pinch everywhere, and I don't know what we're supposed to do. So – just an interesting aside. Uh, well, I will. I'll be on the. Care. I'll be on the alert because the way these things work is this will become the next trend, mm-hmm. right? It always starts and then it spreads everywhere, and then you're supposed to be shamed into paying this extra money. But I will not be paying it. I, I just for any restaurateur out there, I have no shame when it comes to paying extra for less. Um, I, I hand the. You love this. I hand the receipt to my wife. Whenever we go to a restaurant, sit down restaurant where you have a tip involved, she picks the tip. It, it saves us because we used to argue about it because I thought they didn't do something um, correctly or she <laughs> thought they did better. And, and to me, and is, I'm really simple. If my drink's empty, make sure it's not. Bring my food out correctly. Bring it out warm. Bring it out as promptly as you can and make sure my drink is filled because I'm sitting there for a period of time. It's unlimited drinks anyway keep filling it. And if you can't get that simple fact done, you didn't really give me the attention you deserve. So you don't deserve a good tip, which is a 20% tip. You don't deserve that. So I hand the receipt to my wife. She tells me what to put on it. That's what I put on. I don't argue. I don't ask. I don't nothing. She tells me. That so what way if she I, told you, what if she told you 40%? Then that's what I put because it's better than fighting with my wife. Honestly, it's not <laughs> worth the fight. Uh, it's money, but it's not worth the fight. But she, she is a, if you've lost my wife in, oh, yeah. in 
service battle, you've lost it all. And I just sit back and go, okay, welcome to the show. Cause it's going to, it's going to light up and she's going to get angry and she's going to get a little misty because she doesn't like to get angry, but bam, she's going to turn on you and you don't want to be on the receiving side of that. So I just sit back and watch because it's interesting. I don't feel good about it, but I, I sit back and watch. But if we, if we don't fight about it because she tells me what it should be, she's a, probably a more fair judger or at least more forgiving judge of service. Uh, then that's what we put on and we leave it at that. So I don't, method. well, it, it saved us she, a lot. What if she had told you that you needed to pay the 6% meal fee? Well, if, if we'd had the discussion and they would not have taken it off, then, then we, I, I did say, should we lower the tip accordingly? And she agreed. She thought that was the right thing to do because it was a fee we weren't expecting to have to pay because it was not advertised anywhere. So we were okay with that. And Which, by the know, way, is also, is also telling, right? The lack of why wouldn't you let people this. know, hey, listen, <laughs> why? Because we want you as a captive audience who then we can sort of emotionally mm-hmm. blackmail into doing this while you're seated at the restaurant. But that's, yeah. that doesn't work on, on me. Yeah, well, they either think you're not going to look at the receipt because sometimes they shove it in your face. You're just going to gather you're being for three hours or you're not going to feel comfortable asking about it because you'll feel right. embarrassed. So either oh, way, they, they probably be, win most of the it's time. It's like you're at a car dealership. Oh, that's one, just the document fee. They're still ahead yeah. at the end of that's the day. That's right. The so state mandates knows? an administrative fee. That's all I got. Fee. You got anything else to share? No, I think we've, hold- we've done enough for our return. I will try to be a little less... Uh, I think a month was a pretty long gap, but uh, that just yes. events a lot conspired to have vacations yep. on top back of to vacations. <laughs> Makes it hard sometimes, but that's okay. Uh, thank you for joining us. I'm Chad. I'm Tony. Good night. This has been a Hannah Tree production.